I met you. All those years ago. Not a day has gone by when I haven't thought of you. Now that I'm with you again, I'm in agony. Welcome to the Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast, Star Wars Retrospective Series. Not again. Join Garrett. I think he's a good man. Matt. Why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? And Adam. It is with great reluctance that I have agreed to this calling. As they review each film in the Star Wars saga. We call this a diplomatic solution? No, I call it aggressive negotiations. From George Lucas's original trilogy. We got him! We'll just have to finish him. All the way through the Disney sequels and side stories. I'll get to the bottom of this plot quickly, milady. The boys will look at each film individually and decide how this popular film series holds up. I haven't felt you this tense since, since we fell into that nest of gumdogs. Search your feelings, podcast listeners. Meditate on this. I will. The Percolated Media Star Wars Retrospective begins now. I've got a bad feeling about this. Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Released May 16, 2002. Budget on this was $115 million. Box office $653.8 million. And this is directed once again by George Lucas. Oh, wow. Attack of the Clones, the second prequel, came out three years later. Adam, how excited were you for this one? Since the friendship of ours was already attacked by this point, we weren't talking around this time. How excited were you for Attack of the Clones? I was excited for a couple of reasons. I mean, the you know, episode one did what it did. I think it had already gotten some of that post-coital glow of people turning on it a little bit. But when we heard what this was going to be, I mean, we knew there was going to be a trilogy, so there was no surprise there. The sequel surprise wasn't a part of it. But when we got the title and the info that it was Attack of the Clones, and we all went, oh, Clone Wars. We're going to see the Clone Wars. and Put a pin and hold that. But there was some definite excitement there. And then when we got some of the casting information and it made it clear that our titular villain was going to be aged up and we got some of those type of time frames, I was excited because I thought we were going to be just rushing full-blown into seeing Darth Vader by the end of this film. The trailer, I thought, was really well done, maybe not as good as the first, but I was excited. I was quite excited for this. This was around the time that Star Wars was still an event. We said last week there was no matching last week's movie. In fact, Matt went as far as to call The Phantom Menace the most anticipated movie of all time. I will agree with that. But three years later, when this was coming out, I was still really anticipating it because Star Wars was still an event. I remember the teaser trailer coming out. It came out after an episode of The X-Files. And it was literally flashes of scenes being shown while we hear Darth Vader's breathing in the background. And I was stoked. I couldn't wait. I didn't know who this Hayden Christensen guy was, so I saw Shattered Glass. I could not wait for this movie. Despite the title being released, and all me and my friends did was call it Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Because <laughs> that's, that's all I think of when I think of Attack of the <laughs> fill-in-the-blank. 
Matt, you were, what, nine around the time this movie was coming out? Were you excited for it? You've seen Phantom Menace in theaters. How excited were you for Attack of the Clones? I was excited for all these because it was Star Wars, new Star Wars, and I was the culpable age for these movies. So I, I just think it the correlation was perfect. Even though I wasn't a devoted fan, I, I liked Phantom Menace, as I mentioned. And I gotta be honest, though, when I saw a lot of the stuff for this movie, I don't think I was excite, as excited because I was a little bit older, and I never liked Boba Fett. So the idea of showcasing another Fett in these trailers didn't excite me. The only thing that really got me like amped up was watching Yoda whip out a lightsaber, because we had never seen that before. And that was always the the appeal, I guess, of these prequels was seeing the Jedi in their prime and going from Yoda just being still immensely powerful but walking with a cane to just dying in Return of the Jedi. It's like, I want to see what he was when he was in his prime. And that definitely got me excited. But you mentioned Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and I think that's what people wanted to throw at George Lucas after the Phantom Menace. I'll ask this question because I, I don't have an appropriate context. When this was coming out, and feel free to tell your stories, were people saying, oh, this is going to be the good one, or he learned his mistakes? Like, was there still a lot of optimism when this movie yes. was coming out? There was a lot of optimism. People were saying that exact thing where, you know what, he did Phantom Menace. I think he's learned from that. I think he's taken what people are saying, and he's going to really turn this into an event unlike anything that we'd seen in The Phantom Menace. I, I thought he was going to take storytelling to a new level, and everybody said that this was going to be much better than the previous entry. Yeah, and it was a conversation of, well, of course the first one isn't as good, and it's a little boring. Remember, George Lucas always said you need to start at the middle, and that's why the first Star Wars is so good. So now he got the beginning out of the way. Now he can tell the story, and this is going to be great. It was like, okay, we got that one out of the way. Now we can go. Mm -hmm. Adam, was this a uh, opening weekend viewing for you? For sure. This was, I want to say Friday, because th it was not a midnight. I was not waiting outside a theater again, which was still required post-New Millennium. This was an opening weekend experience. I want to say this was a Brendan theater, for those mm -hmm. that, you know, way back when. Good old Johnny Brendan, grandson of the owner of the Man's Chinese Theater. Definitely going to be there. Definitely ready to go. No dress-up, no toys, did not bring a saber, but definitely was excited to go in and see what it was going to be. I was so excited for this one that I did go to the midnight showing the previous day. Thing was, I was working for UPS at this time, and I remember I went with a couple friends along with a couple people from work. We all went to the midnight showing, and at that time, the early preload at UPS was 3 o'clock. 3 a.m. So this movie started at midnight. We got out of that thing at about 2.40. We went straight to work right after, right there in Concord, Adam. So, yep. Yep. Place. yep. And it, our eyes were so red when we got there. We were exhausted. But I had to. Like, that's how excited I was for this. That's how it was. I mean, this is when you started getting some spoilery stuff mm -hmm. as well. That if you didn't see it, you were going to have stuff in papers. And there wasn't, I mean, there was message boards and stuff like that. You know, there was AOL chat groups. So it wasn't the internet like we know it today. But you needed to see it opening weekend to make sure that, that nothing was nothing was given away. Not, you know, you weren't surprised by anything. Spoiled. And to talk about what Matt asked, we did think Lucas had learned from this because if you notice the credits to this, when he did the third draft, he brought in another writer. 
a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Hales. He had worked with him on Young Indiana Jones. And so he wanted him to come flesh out the story. And, of course, Carrie Fisher was once again brought in to do a ghostwriter of the script as well. So, yeah, we, we were thinking this was going to be much better. Uh, we'll talk about what our feelings were when we got out of the theater, but nothing but optimism when I walked in. Now, Matt, you saw this opening weekend, correct? If not, immediately after. I remember we saw this in IMAX because this was a big deal for the sake of digital photography. And they really used IMAX to kind of flaunt. You know, they whipped out their proverbial lightsaber and said, oh, yeah, wa- watch watch what this will look like on a giant screen fully shot on digital. And I remember the, the sound system is insane back when IMAX first became prominent. It was a big deal. But I don't remember sitting there watching the movie. All I remember was walking into the theater, and that's about it. This is the one I have only seen maybe twice. I, and I think this is, of all the Star Wars movies, this is probably the one I knew the least or remembered the least about when I sat down to watch it for this. One thing that's become apparent while these Star Wars movies were coming out, yes, they were all events, but when Lucas's previous trilogy had come out, was, was coming out, you know, there were always other movies being released, but nothing really took away from the event that was Star Wars. If you'll notice, in 99... We had another movie out called The Matrix, which a lot of people say revolutionized film more than The Phantom Menace did. And this year, he had another one taking his steam away. A movie by the name of Spider-Man was released. And I remember by the end of that summer, a lot of pe- more people were talking about Spider-Man than they were talking about Star Wars. And by the way, Spider-Man ended up outgrossing Star Wars. This was the one Star Wars film that, that was not the highest grossing movie of the year. It was Spider-Man and it was Lord of the Rings to Two Towers. So There's one other you're missing. Oh, Harry yeah, Potter Harry Potter. Yes, yeah, you're right. This was a distant fourth. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, 936 worldwide take. Harry Potter, 878. Spider-Man, 821. Star Wars, 653. Yep. But you know what? Despite that, a few months later, one of my best friends, Adam Thad, you know him very well, I was in his wedding, and we were all dressed like Jedi, and he had a Star Wars-themed wedding, and we were all in karate geese, and we held our lightsabers up, and they walked underneath us, and I remember that kind of made me think, you know, that Attack of the Clones was great as well. I was like, wow, I'm in a Star Wars-themed wedding. This is awesome. And then it was released on DVD. I bought that. I bought the Blu-ray set, and I have watched this movie probably no less than 10 times since it was out. There are just things about it that and we'll talk about it, that I think is much better than what people have said when they talk about this film. But with all that out of the way, boys, I have nothing else to add. Do you guys have anything else to add before we go into the film? I don't like sand. I'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So starting off with the opening crawl, we're hearing that of many solar systems and their plans to lead the Republic, we're also hearing that a gentleman by the name of Count Dooku, a name that never fails to make me laugh, has made it difficult on the Jedi. And we're hearing about Senator Amidala, not Queen, returning to the Senate in order to vote on building an army of the Republic in order to help the Jedi. Boy, oh boy, not a very exciting opening crawl. I've been studying all these crawls as we go through these films, and God, this does not get us off on the right foot. I was excited because we were talking about building an army and what that was going to be. So I was surprised that the Queen was a senator. I had no idea who this Dooku was and... Even, I think, in the lead-up to this, that name had been released, and everybody was like, who's that, who's that, who's that? And there was speculation. I'm kind of the other way. I dig the crawl. I think it was a decent setup for what we were going to get. So, yeah, I was actually excited when we panned. It's better than The Phantom Menace, because at least there's no talk about taxation and those kinds of things. This is setting up much more of a actual political conflict. That The first movie, briefly, is being kind, because there's a lot of discussion once you get to Coruscant. 
Th- this at least is raising the stakes that in the 10 years since the previous movie, Republic's not in a great shape, and there are going to be actual potential consequences and escalation based on this, this prelude. This is also the only Star Wars movie, I believe, where after the crawl, it pans yep. up. I was just about ready to say yep. that, yeah. Instead of panning down, Lucas pans up, and we've never seen that before. Mm-mm. We're seeing a ship go and land, and within seconds, a bomb goes off. And people forget that this was released not even a few months after 9-11. This was kind of a ballsy thing to do, was to start a movie off with an assassination attempt by bombing. Yep. Yeah, those two points. To do it that way and to have not made the adjustment to cut it, edit it out, because he could have done that. But also to start, and for a little bit, you think, holy shit, they just killed that yeah. Portman. You were not expecting it. It's weird, because rewatching it, the drama, and that is completely gone from it. But I remember watching it that first time, because whatever your expectations were, it was not to watch that beautiful aluminum ship that looked <laughs> It looks like it's from that old Disney movie, just like completely blown up. It was definitely a different way to go. This is a different Lucas, I think, in this one. You're thinking of Fly the Navigator, my friend. (laughs) That's it. Thank you. I like that they start this off because she's the one character of the principal cast where we don't know where her fate is yet. Mm -hmm. We can make assumptions because she's not in the original trilogy, but I think this is a a smart way to pull you in, because the fan mess takes a while to really suck you in if you're not just a Jedi fanboy. This at least starts off with a good, inciting incident. It actually makes you feel like some of these characters are in danger, so you're avoiding that prequel problem that's just inherent. But you're right about the 9-11 thing, because if you remember, they took the Twin Towers out of yeah, Spider-Man. in the trailer, yeah. Yep. And in the trailer and in the posters, it's not in his eye, like it was when it was mm-hmm. first released. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, they kept this in. I wonder if the, the justification was that, well, this is, as the pre-title sequence says, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's not based on our reality, so we can keep this in. This is really trying to throw us off, right? Because in the crawl, we're hearing that Senator Amidala is voting on the bill. And while the ship is flying, we're ha- we have establishing shots inside the ship to tell us that this is indeed a senator. So when the bomb goes off, it's startling, and it, and it sets this up as something else we have never seen in the Star Wars universe, a mystery. Yep, and she's now gone from a queen yeah. to a senator. Mm-hmm. Amidala is doubting her reasons for coming back, but it's established that this vote is very important. She needs to be there. We cut to the Jedi Council, where Palpatine says he's not sure how he can hold off the vote as more star systems leave the Republic. He also says that his negotiations will not fail. We're then seeing Samuel L. motherfucking Jackson, already with more screen time than last time, telling Palpatine that the Jedi Knights are keepers of peace, not soldiers. Amidala makes her way in, as Yoda says, seeing her alive brings warmth to his heart. Well, Yoda gets a lot of screen time in this. <laughs> that Yoda speak gets real old real quick. But a big correction with the Yoda design between oh, yeah. the Phantom Menace and this one. Because there's not been the re-releases of Phantom Menace at this point where they've completely redone Yoda where he looks like Yoda. So in this one, it was kind of a, yeah, never mind. We're going to go ahead and make him look like he always has. Well, they also had to, given the climax of this mm-hmm. movie. Right. But my problem, and I'm going to start bitching about this immediately, again, the Jedi look like absolute fools. Yeah. Yoda's like, I-, I can't see the future. Something's blocking me. And the Jedi are coming off as just annoyed pacifists who, again, are just subservient to the gu- to Palpatine because he's in charge. Mm-hmm. I think one of my problems with the prequels in general is that Palpatine feels so overpowered in comparison to everyone else. Well, he's manipulating in order to get that power. And I think that's what he's trying yeah. to show. 
But it makes the Jedi look Yeah, especially, I mean, they're throwing out theories that the one who tried to assassinate the senator is Dooku. But Mace is the one who shoots that down by saying he was a Jedi himself, so it's not in his character. It was said right then and there, and you, you shot it down immediately. Yeah, and as we know, Dooku is leading yeah. the Separatists. He's not a fan of Menace where we don't know who he is. He is the figurehead of this movement. So, again, listen to Padme. Yeah. <laughs> and they also don't mention, for the record, because Dooku doesn't come into this movie until considerably mm-hmm. later, him and Mace Windu are Yoda yes. pupils. Not that you know that if you haven't seen Clone Wars or any of the extended material, because the movie doesn't give you a lot of backstory about Dooku. They mention his name, that he's behind all this, but there's not a whole lot of background. I mean, it's the same thing with Darth Maul. It's a good situation to set up, like, a mystery as far as, like, who's really behind this, but when the most logical answer is shot down, it makes the Jedi look exactly. like Exactly. Eventually, we do find out that Dooku was Qui-Gon's teacher, so you get a little bit of backstory, but not too much. Palpatine suggests more security in the form of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and the Council agrees. We then cut to inside an elevator as we are reacquainted with Obi-Wan and Anakin. I do like how we are seeing a gradual lead-up to Kenobi looking like how he'd eventually look in A New Hope. He's got the longer hair, he's got the beard. Funny story is this elevator shot was a pickup shot. McGregor was already shooting Black Hawk Down at this time. So this is a wig and spliced, up and spliced on facial hair. <laughs> and once you know that, it's impossible to unsee. Yeah. I, I, I guess there's hockey on Coruscant because that's what he, he looks does. like. <laughs> he is joined by good old Anakin Skywalker, played by Shattered Glass's own Hayden Christensen. Now, there were many candidates for this role, including Leonardo DiCaprio, which his publicist frankly said, he's not available <laughs> when they tried getting him. We were hearing Ryan Gosling. Ryan Phillippe was another front runner, But Lucas settled on Christensen because, quote, him and Portman looked good together. The arguments over whether it's the actor or director have been made countless times over the years. I want to say a little of column A and a little of column B. you got to remember, after Shattered Glass and Life as a House, there was Oscar talk surrounding Christensen. Like they, People were thinking he was one of, going to be our, one of our greater actors in the years to come. But, you know, where around this time was that Christensen was a cocky little bastard. He would go to clubs and bars bragging that he was Darth Vader. I'm surprised we never heard, Matt, of a Syracuse-type incident involving this guy getting his ass kicked. It it is at times painful to watch him, as we're going to outline specific instances where him throwing fit can't make me associate this guy with being in that dark suit in those first three films. That association that Lucas is trying so hard for us to make is the icing on the cake that damns this performance. You mentioned column A, column B. I think those are both problems. There is a third column, though, that I'll get to later. I think there's a third person to blame for how this is done. I agree with the consensus that this should have been the age that Anakin started at when we started this trilogy, but my problem is that it's the worst example, and the prequels do this a lot, of telling us without showing us. And their banter back and forth about their experiences sounds like really bad Mm -hmm. improv. Where it's like, yes, and... And we haven't seen this. We're having to take their friendship as just hearsay. And it's one line, one story that doesn't sound authentic. I'm not impressed with this dynamic, and I still think it's one of the damning problems with the prequels, that I don't buy their friendship at all. And again, it makes everything that's come after it has had to do the legwork that these movies... (laughs) Legwork, because he gets his legs cut off later, that these movies don't do. What's interesting about this is taking place ten years later. So we're supposed to have this 10 years established between these two. And you're right. These conversations they have about who rescued who from a gun dark and things, they just don't feel authentic. And I don't believe that these two have known each other for 10 years. Yeah, you might as well call him Obi-Tan-Tan Kenobi because he's carrying Anakin through all of this here. I mean, Ewan McGregor looks slightly uncomfortable because, yeah, you can tell that he's wearing prosthetics that are as bad as what they put on the Avengers.
Avengers in the post-credit scene of freaking the first Avengers movie. I see Anakin, I'm like, oh, he's deliberately shot bigger than Obi-Wan. He looks imposing. His outfit is different than what you would generally get. And then he opens his mouth. You know, yeah, he might have been given accolades as a great actor, but I think every single one of those press releases freaking had a letterhead of Lucasfilm LTD because whether it's the writing, whether it's Hayden itself, and there is, if you're a good actor, you have to rise above the material. Look at the original trilogy. Every single person, except for maybe Mark Hamill, rose above the material. Anakin's taking, or sorry, I'm calling him Anakin. Hayden is taking bad material and making it even worse. His deliveries, his, oh man. And then the editing chop job that you could tell some of these back and forth are not even in the same shot that they're taking this line from this shot and this line from this shot and just slicing them together worse than a freaking droid with a short. It, oof, it starts out pretty bad the second he opens his mouth here. Question, Adam, have you seen Shattered Glass? I have not. I was excited to, and I didn't want to see anything that he did until I saw this movie, and I've still not seen it. <laughs> All right. Well, he is good in that, and I think it's because he didn't have somebody telling him the only direction, faster, more intense. He, did, he also did jump, yeah, right? Yeah, which his... isn't good. It's oh, a terrible God, film. From one of the writers of Buffy, by the way. Oh, that's horrible. I think it was Sam yeah. Jackson. Yeah, terrible film. He's really good in Shatterglass, really good in Life as a House, and here, like, he just doesn't find that... He doesn't find that thing that makes him a great actor, makes him makes him interact with these people because I don't I think he's uncomfortable. I see a lot of discomfort that I associated with Natalie Portman last week in him here. It doesn't seem like an actor who wants to be here as much as he's just kind of here to collect a paycheck and be Darth Vader because that's what he wanted to be. I don't feel like we're seeing a character. I think we're seeing Hayden Christensen dressed up and reading mm-hmm. lines. They're so dry, he might as well be reading them off a cue card. There's no character that I'm getting at him. I think there's someone else who's victim to that in this movie. Boy, you're confusing. Mm-hmm. Anakin says he's nervous to see Amidala, as this is the first time he's seen her in ten years. We're getting reacquainted with Jar Jar! And the reintroduction is on, and the awkwardness starts here, as Amidala says that Anakin will always be that little boy on Tatooine. She's a pedophile. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is... <laughs> She is doing everything she can to, to mm. egg him on. And she knows that this guy had her as the foremost thing on his mind yeah. for 10 years. We're seeing a squabble between Anakin and Kenobi, where Anakin says this security job is for local security, not Jedi Knights. I'm on Anakin's side. He, he does have a point. point. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Mace Windu says, you know, we're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. So being bodyguards is okay. <laughs> I guess she's an important political figure, but do the, does the Republic not have any sort of military presence? I know they're trying to build an army. Do you think that uh, Palpatine has security guards? Mm-hmm. Why not assign them to Padme? Amidala retires for the night, and Anakin and Jar Jar have a conversation about how she didn't even recognize him. We're seeing Jango Fett. <laughs> yes, she did. She knew exactly who he was. Called him Little Annie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Li- he's li- he is literally Little mm-hmm. Orphan Annie. <laughs> Charger should be like, Misa thinks you are full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> We're seeing Jango Fett give Bounty Hunter Zed some poisonous bugs to try and kill the senator. This was the other big thing that had people yeah. excited. And when the shot first came out, we didn't know who, what, or anything else. We were just like, oh my god, that looks like Bubba Fett, but the armor is colored in classic George Lucas mm-hmm. style. Oh my god, that looks like this, and they changed the color. I'm so excited. <laughs> that was how people felt about Oh god, this. when you first see that shot, after he kills Zed later on, and you see him take off. That was one of the shots in the trailer that got people really excited. 
Yep, yep. Jetpack. Oh my god, mm-hmm. the jetpack. Oh god, I still remember Thad just being ecstatic when he saw that. He's like, oh my god, we're going to see it. We're getting Superman Returns type stalking as Anakin tells Kenobi the Senator turned off her cameras because he's sure she didn't want him looking at her. And more banter is going on as Lucas awakens a part of his horror aesthetic, showing bugs make their way into this room. One thing I'll give this movie, and I mentioned this earlier on, this type of stuff makes for a different feeling Star Wars film, and I think that's to be commended. This does not feel like Star Wars at this point. No, but one of my problems with this movie is that the plotting is very overly complicated. Dooku hires Jango Fett, who hires someone else, who puts bugs in a droid... To assassinate Padme. This is so overly complicated. It is. I completely agree. Now, I like the idea of we got a mystery of who's trying to kill the senator. Full stop, pretty good way to start the movie. And that's a good A or B that you could carry throughout. I like these little bugs. These things are pretty dang creepy, alien-looking. Somewhere I have the toy that it's an R2-D2 figure that came with these two. I like it. Up until the moment that Anakin leaps into action. When he slices the bugs off her bed, I'm like, how did she not get hit whatsoever? Well, Jedi sense it. Just force push the bugs off. <laughs> the Jedi Knights sense what's going on in the room, and they slice up the bugs. Obi-Wan then jumps out the window at the culprit, and the chase is on. This chase gets crazy. Let's not forget about Lucas's love for racing and cars. So we're seeing a whole bunch of jumping from place to place as these things zoom on by, and Anakin races to catch Obi-Wan, and Zed is on their tails. Very Blade Runner-esque. The first, I'll say the first few times I saw this, I was like, man, this is a different cool kind of look, but we haven't seen these kind of cities. We want to see Coruscant looking this way. We've heard about Coruscant in the original trilogy. I read about it in books, so to see it was kind of cool. What throws me off, and it throws me off much more every time I see this movie, this score is weird for this. And it has got some, I won't even say music, just some sound effects used as music choices that are awkward, repetitive, and just really not good. This is William's worst score of the six films in this series so far. I'm not going to mention what I feel about the sequel trilogy. We'll get to that. But so far, I think this is his worst score of the entire saga. Cross the Stars love theme, all of it, is pretty bad. I think that piece is one of the best compositions of the entire series. But I... I agree with you, though, that collectively this is the weakest collection of music of the five up to this point. But I like that it's evoking Blade Runner, obviously, but I like that this actually feels more science fiction-y than we've gotten with Star Wars. Because to me, Star Wars is just fantasy taking out a can of spray paint and just putting science fiction touches on it. So I like that they're actually, you know, this feels futuristic, otherworldly. I don't understand the air traffic. How are there not 8,000 collisions? <laughs> we have the fifth element by this point. Oh. It's fine. I'm waiting that's for not, a taxi. Yeah, that's another thing that reminds me of. <laughs> fifth element meets Blade Runner. But it's cool to look at. This is actually exciting. Like, this is the opposite of Phantom Menace, where it starts out strong. It's got me involved. It's got me engaged. We're getting glimpses of the pilot that Anakin actually is, as well as his drive, as he doesn't want to stop the chase as much as find out who the bounty hunter is. He jumps out of the vehicle and catches hold of hers. She tries shooting him off, and we even get a little face morphing going on while this is happening. They go to the bar, and Obi-Wan gives Anakin his weapon, saying he's going to be the death of him. Uh-huh. All, all uh-huh. this ironic fucking dialogue. So bad. <laughs> I will say, the first time you hear that, you know, you look like the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. Oh, 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 I know what that means. <laughs> The first time. However, the line doesn't hold up. It is one of the most cringy, just, ah, Jesus. He then says, you go find the bounty hunter. I'm going to go have a drink. 
We're also seeing Ahmed Best and Anthony Daniels in this bar, as well as, and this was a weird cameo that I read later on, the girl in the red dress from The Matrix is here, too. The exact girl. He plucked the exact girl from that movie in this movie. You know why I find that cool is because everybody talked about how Matrix was so much better than mm-hmm. Phantom Menace. I do think it shows that Lucas loves cinema. Is Regardless of what you think, I think he adores cinema. And I think that's the level of respect for mm-hmm. the Wachowskis. And you guys saw Ahmed Best and Anthony Daniels, right? Oh, yeah. Prominently displayed. Obi-Wan turns down the idea of having death sticks, which I guess is Lucas's version of an anti-smoking campaign. That's a non-smoking <laughs> yeah. ad. <laughs> Williams turns up the score as the suspense builds, and Obi-Wan takes out Zed. As she's about to give up her identity, as well as who hired her, there's Jango to stop her from doing so by killing her. It's also the first time we see Anakin start to show anger and dark side. When he's got her, tell us now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, that is, I guess, character building and character development. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the first time we start to see who he's going to become. The council sends Obi-Wan to find out the identity of the bounty hunter, as well as Anakin to quote-unquote protect Senator Amidala. Boy, I wonder how this is going to go. It works oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the Jedi are clearly ignorant <laughs> by setting this up. I don't understand how they, they can't see the lack of logic in this situation. Yeah. You're going to send a Padawan. If you send Obi-Wan, that's one thing. He at least is a master at this point. But you send, as Obi-Wan admits, and Mason Yodu affirm, bit hot-headed, arrogant, not all there. We're going to send him to protect the most important person in this movie. Can't control his emotions. The Jedi, as master of being able to read other people, should know exactly what he's mm-hmm. feeling. You're just putting a thermal freaking detonator right down his pants. Yeah. And we're going to send you to our home world, which makes no sense, because that's such an that's obvious an o- place that's, for I was going to say that exact thing. There's an o- that's the obvious place for her to go. And there's only one other place that could be more obvious if we're talking a Star we're Wars movie. There. We didn't get another pickup scene of Anakin talking to Palpatine, doubting the drive behind the Council's actions of giving him an assignment. Obi-Wan tells Mace and Yoda of his concerns about his arrogant Padawan, as Matt said earlier. And Mace once again reminds us of the prophecy, because we need to hear about this again. (laughs) And and this is some of the worst. I I get this movie was a landmark for digital effects, but even at the time, I think the green screening is really excessive. Phantom Menace, there were a lot more practical sets compared to this movie, and I think it's distracting. Yeah, as Terrence Stamp said when he turned this movie down, actors like working with actors. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not green screen. Lucas then does what's going to be his most brilliant bit of work in these prequels. He has Amidala give Jar Jar her full position as she leaves the temp- on a temporary leave of absence. This has quite the payoff and is fucking brilliant. You hate Jar Jar? I'm going to make you hate him even more. <laughs> Padme makes no bones about the fact that she does not like the idea of hiding, especially with Anakin. Anakin then says that he is thankful to be Kenobi's apprentice. But in a lot of ways, he's ahead of him as his Padawan, and that is not fair how he's holding him down. Boy. Meh, meh, meh. Yeah, he, it, he talks in circles this entire movie, where it's like, I love Obi-Wan, but I also think he's holding mm-hmm. me back. And, and again, the Jedi, it's clear they know he has the potential to be the most powerful of all of them, but yet they don't offer him the best as far as foolish. Mm-hmm. See, if we would have had a mission with them maybe together just to show the closeness, but we don't have that. Padme then tells him not to look at her like that because it, quote-unquote, makes her uncomfortable. (laughs) Awkward. Oh, boy. This whole movie is is grooming. Between the two of them and especially with Mm -hmm. Palpatine, 
He might as well be wearing a Catholic priest uniform under those robes. <laughs> Kenobi tells Anakin, may the Force be with you, as he leads on his mission, but they have no need to be afraid, as they have R2 with them to help protect them. He does a better job than either of them, actually. Oh, R2 is the MVP of this movie as far as getting people mm-hmm. out of jams. It's got more emotional range than either of <laughs> the three of them as well. We cut to Obi-Wan in a diner, not unlike one in American Graffiti, as he meets up with his buddy Dex to discuss the origins of a dart that didn't show up in the analysis archives. Dex, Dex says that its origins are in Kimono. So Obi-Wan heads that way. I love Dex, and I guess he is a prominent piece of the books. I guess him and Kenobi had a ton of adventures together. Adam, can you speak to that? Uh, I don't know if a ton. I know they have some. Kenobi one has used them before for, for info, for knowledge, stuff like that. Yes, might have to look at them to get the titles. But, yeah, absolutely. And I dig it. I mean, this is at least making the universe feel a little bigger, which has been a problem I like that Obi-Wan's got friends that we haven't met before. I like that he's a little bit different. I like that we're essentially at Mel's diner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's exactly mm-hmm. what this place feels like. And I think Dex sounds kind of cool. And I'm not going to say that I have two different action figures of Dex, but I do. <laughs> uh, and I like it. I mean, we as bad as this detective story goes, Detective Obi-Wan is not a bad idea. It's just poorly executed. Oh, I don't agree with that, actually. What I like about Dex is, and we've said it in all the podcasts that we've done on Star Wars, Lucas tends to stereotype some of these some of these characters as things that we know of. We mentioned last week the aliens that sound like Asians when they talk, and Watto being a Jewish alien, pretty much, by the way he talks. Dex just kind of seems like his own thing, and I like that. We then go to the library, which is headed by Lucas's real-life mom, by the way. She says that if it's not in their art, in their records, it does not exist. This, this is, yeah, this is clearly the Republican <laughs> library. Where it's like, oh, if, we if we didn't come up with it, it's fake news. <laughs> Just deleting shit out of existence. And, and this starts the whole site, the DS crap. Oh, which, boy. Yes. I want to see her emails. <laughs> we cut to a dinner with Anakin and Padme where they discuss whether he's allowed to love... You know, his biggest <laughs> part of it is lightsaber. Oh, God, when they're by the fire, oh, we'll get to that. But They're, they're having a candlelit yeah. dinner. Boy, she is. they are making no attempt to make this catatonic. Mm-hmm. You know, because my problem with these movies, I get Star Wars, but this is also a problem with modern blockbusters, so asexual. They act like romance and genuine human contact is non-existent. I'm not saying these movies have to become full-fledged pornographies, but they're, they're so afraid of showing, like, real intimacy. Well, Matt, look what happens when they do. See, that's the problem. Yeah, I've heard that argument where these movies are stagnant, and Lucas is so cold that he doesn't want to put romance in movies. Well, look what happens when he does. This is one of the most derided of the prequels. Yeah, but that's his own That's his own fault, and I, I think that's the problem with casting. It's the problem with writing. Conceptually, it's fine, but so much of the execution of these movies is where the issues lie. Obi-Wan heads to Yoda, who's teaching some younglings. Yoda is also at a loss to find the lost planet, but this is when we find that someone actually erased it from the archive memory. So Yoda says to go to the center of gravity's pole to find the lost planet. Because a kid is smarter than the yeah. leader of the Jedi Council. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, this is taking the idea of Jedi training to the dumbest extreme, where it's Anakin's too old to begin the training. So that means we have to start training you when you're three. <laughs> and, and yeah, this is a dumb idea. We're going to put helmets on all these fucking kids and give them lightsabers <laughs> so they can't see. Like, I see no way this could go wrong. <laughs> Yoda says that he will meditate on the information that only a Jedi could have access to the archive. You want his answer for everything when Luke goes back to him. Sorry, I'm dying. You know, I can't yeah. help you. This one, I, I got to go meditate, which means I don't know. 
Yoda sucks just like all the other Jedi. <laughs> and, and, and as we'll find out in this movie, he's a giant baker. Yeah, Yoda's got a phantom ability. You know what? It just continually disappears on. We cut to Naboo as Anakin and the Senator arrive, and R2 is struggling to get up the steps. These two are walking up, and R2's like 16 steps behind trying to catch up. <laughs> yeah, the planet of Naboo is not ADA accessible. <laughs> kind of messed up here, George. <laughs> Anakin says that he's glad that she chose to be by the Queen's side as a senator. We hear the actual Queen tell the senator that the day we believe democracy can't work is the day we lose it. (laughs) Okay, you you made the point. She's no longer a Queen. Mm -hmm. She's a senator. There's no reason to show a Queen or anybody else ruling Naboo. None. Not whatsoever. There is... Really? See, I I don't Uh, mind this because I think we do need to see that. For what? To show that she's not actually a queen. She's just serving the queen as a senator. We can say it all we want, but we kind of want to see it in action, don't we? But have her. Uh, I guess we saw her in the Senate pop. You know what? If she didn't do the exact same actions as a queen that she does as, as a senator, then, yeah, I guess I would see your point. But whether she's a queen or a senator, she seems to do the exact same things and have the exact same political influence, power, and voting. That's fair. Yeah, what exactly has changed? That's mm-hmm. my question. Naboo is still a shithole. You know, there still still feels like they're being subjugated to some degree. What exactly is Padme's job as a senator? I, I guess we have... not listening to the needs of the people. Yeah, Padme's interrupting Anakin's thoughts on democracy, and they're exchanging more looks. <laughs> I do love that she yeah. just... It's like, sh- sh- back and forth. Excuse me. No, excuse <laughs> me, my lady. <laughs> I mean, as bad as the writing is, the delivery is so... You get MST3K 90% of this movie, and it would be better for it. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure they have, if you look yeah. on the internet. Someone I, I bet. We see Obi-Wan enter Kimono, which is actually a pretty cool design. I love the water. I like how the rain just encompasses the whole screen. Yeah, this is Avatar 2 before mm-hmm. Avatar 2. Not sure how I feel about Lucas's homage to his buddy Spielberg with these aliens, but I think Kimono is actually pretty cool. I've okay. Two couple things. I think one type of planet I think is incredibly lazy. You got a desert planet, you got a snow planet, you got a water planet. That said, I love kimono. I love the look. I love the way that these buildings rise out of the water. I think effects work. When you realize that this movie is over twenty years old, holds up here on kimono better than ninety percent of the movies put out today, and holds up a hundred percent better than anything Disney's put out in the last couple of years. And that's just amazing. I love the aliens. As somebody who's never seen Close Encounters, even though I know the reference, I think they look fantastic. They look alien. I love the angular, just beautiful, kind of sexy, sleek design of them. I like the way they talk. Yeah, I'm a big fan of what we get here on Camino. Water is the hardest thing to render effects-wise. I think they do a really good job with it. And, yeah, big fan of of how we start, at least here on this Let me clear up. It's not that I'm not a fan of the design. I just think they're boring characters. Like, they don't do anything. I think that leads into that these one-note characters are making one-note characters. They're creating clones. Mm, Interesting. Are they clones themselves? You know, I think there's something to be had there, DNA splicing. So I think they're designed to not differentiating from one another. I think this looks cool, and that's all I'll say about it. The idea of cloning is so much more interesting as someone who's read the Timothy Zahn books versus how it's depicted in the movies. It's serviceable here, but these aliens are are one note. And again, everything on Camino, everyone is so goddamn monotone. 
But yeah, as far as effects-wise, it looks really good. But to Adam's point, we think of these planets based on their climate, not necessarily anything else. Obi-Wan is told that they are on schedule with 200,000 units that Master Sephidius ordered, but Obi-Wan says that Sephidius was killed years ago. But the army is for the Republic, and that he is welcome to inspect the units for himself. We go back to Naboo, and oh, this dialogue. Padme says that she loves the water, and we are getting the famous I don't like sand speech. I like the concept of this speech. Anakin probably wouldn't like sand, given where he came from, but how it's delivered is just borderline painful. Borderline? I mean, this is as painful as sand in my shorts. I mean, this is just, you know what you do? You have them go together to a beach and him bristling up against it because of how comfortable he is and having this conversation somewhere where it would fit. Mm -hmm. But the delivery and how they do it here is, uh, I'll say it's abysmal. It is absolutely abysmal the way that this is done. It's become a joke. It's become a meme. And for good reason. You know, it's not just the lines that were written. It's delivered. Piss poor. And somebody chose to do this delivery. Somebody chose this is the cut that was going to be put on screen. Lucas had, to, had somewhere to be at that day. He, he couldn't stick around for more takes. Uh, this ship crossed so far over the line that I half expected U.S. Border Patrol to arrest them all and ship them to prison. <laughs> it's as bad as its reputation, if not worse. I went into this movie thinking, oh, I'm sure this will be bad and cringeworthy, but it's like X-Men. Does it hurt every time? <laughs> And at the same time, she's also giving him nothing to work with. She isn't. No, they may have looked great in a picture together. I cannot believe a chemistry test where somebody went, oh, yeah, these two. Oh, apparently Lucas really liked it because that's the reason he gave. Or, or he just gave up and said, okay, we'll just settle on this guy. And maybe they had something going on before filming and they hated each other during filming because neither one of them seemed like they want to be in the presence of one another. Yeah, the chemistry is definitely not there. More of the love theme is played as they kiss, but Amidala plays cock blocker and says, nope, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> the greatest thing here is that the score yes. drops. <laughs> you might as well pull out the slide freaking whistle. <laughs> Williams is doing all the work here. I'll agree with that. <laughs> but then his yeah. look. <laughs> look, I've been spurned more times than I would like to admit, but even... <laughs> The look on his face when he's just, okay, it's just, holy shit. Obi-Wan has seen the production of the clones and seems real impressed as the drive to make them less independent than the original host is told to him. And we're meeting the original host, who is Jango Fett, named after the 1966 character. Oh, Tamora Morrison. Man, you talk about somebody who delivers wooden dialogue. He's bad. Everybody's bad. <laughs> Even Ewan McGregor, I think, is... I think of the three, this is his, we, his the least of his work. Obi-Wan is more involved in the plot, but he's here just to listen to exposition. Like He, do, he doesn't have a character arc. It's just he's inner space Philip Marlowe, where it's just tell me what happened, and I'm gonna I'm going to get myself caught in some kind of trap. But yeah, I, I would like this better if Jango Fett was more interesting of a character. I don't know if it was worse. This or the original idea of it being Lando. Yeah, that was his original idea. Which comes from George Lucas's original pitch for Empire when he thought about the Clone Wars was that Lando was going to be a clone in Empire, and that's why Leia hated him so much, not because she's racist. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I can't believe how bad Tamora Morrison. You know what? I can because I've seen him in other things. <laughs> and you know what? 
he doesn't get anything. Well, he was in One for you Warriors, know, which is actually a pretty good movie, and he's not bad in that. Well, he's yeah, bad he here. Uh, you know, but it's not just that he's bad. The character of Django is so underwhelming, and the idea and what he does and how and that it's nothing but the same armor but color different and everything about this even the way that Obi-Wan just stumbles across no one I love the lead up to this because we see the clones being built and it's that's an impressive like man that's kind of cool and it's immediately taken away by how bad the scene is inside this bedroom and for Obi-Wan to be a master of the force to not be able to take any kind of action right there or anything I don't know this all falls apart so quickly and this is nothing but just wanting to do something with Django and man it's the universal problem that these movies have of compartmentalizing the universe you yeah. took a character who was entirely a look from the original trilogy and did the same thing here where yeah he looks cool but his character is not very interesting so like father like son and also the Sifo-Dyas crap is only here because George Lucas made a typo. With yeah, <laughs> that's the only reason. Because <laughs> it's never addressed. It's a character that we never mm-hmm. meet, and we're just told, oh yeah, he existed. Because Sifo-Dyas, it was supposed to be Sidious, but Lucas just kept it in. So yeah, the part of the big mystery doesn't make any sense, so it makes everything else look worse by comparison. You know, I wasn't one of the people who walked out of The Phantom Menace extremely disappointed like a lot of people were as i mentioned last week and as somebody who didn't have a real affinity for the boba fett character i wasn't really that excited to go in and see this but you know what with my friend who was with me and is a huge fan of the character i was excited for him and when he walks out and says Mm -hmm. that wasn't too impressive as we walked out of the theater i was just thinking man how many people have you let down with this one this character, you guys are right. The imagery's cool. Everything associated with them when it comes to fighting is really cool. We'll talk about a really good fight scene here in a bit. But when it comes to the character and scenes like this, why are you going to, quote-unquote, humanize him here? We then go back to Naboo with more bad dialogue. Here's the thing. Lucas is great at evoking feelings with imagery and awe, but when Portman is giving a backstory of her and an old classmate she used to have a crush on, it is just terrible. To make a comparison, like, Kirshner was great at evoking feelings with Han and Leia's dirty hands, but even a polish on the script by Carrie Fisher can't help how fucking cheesy this is. The dialogue's bad, the delivery's even worse, and you know what? It seems fitting that they're riding a giant tick across <laughs> this field, because this is sucking the blood out of me while I'm watching this film. It's, like, it's worse than a school play. Mm-hmm. That's what, it feel, that's what mm-hmm. it feels like. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan meets Django, and it's as awkward as you could imagine, as we mentioned. He sees Fett's battle gear and then meets Boba Fett for the first time, his little son. Oh, fucking <laughs> A. The only one worse, yeah. the more Morrison, is this kid here. One, I'm sorry, I, maybe they're supposed to be the same ethnicity. It sure as heck doesn't feel like it when there's... Oh, well, yeah, to me it does. No, for him to, it doesn't to me. For him to be an unaltered clone of himself. But this kid... Oh, you know what? He makes the Phantom Menace, he makes Jake Lloyd look good by comparison. Yes, he makes Jake Lloyd look like Daniel Radcliffe. And it's bad enough you have Jango Fett, but you had to sneak in Boba Fett himself. Mm -hmm. He sees the battle armor, and Obi-Wan doesn't immediately arrest him, because if Jedi's are keepers of the peace, you would think he has police authority. Mm -hmm. Again, the writing in these movies are so flimsy and dumb. He should be able to read his mind, use the Jedi mind trick. He's, he's not a hut, or he's yeah. not a Doug. He's not a Doug, so Jedi mind trick should, be, should work fine. Or money. He's got money as well. That's all Django cares about anyway. I met this kid about five years after this. 
he was at Comic Con I was at. One of the nicest dudes ever. Like, but by that point, he was I believe he was about eighteen. I have heard he's an amazing. Oh, he's nice super guy. cool. We talked a lot about this, and he had a really good time filming this, and he takes a lot of pride in being Boba Fett in this movie. He really did like being on this set and doing this movie. And you're right, he is super cool, but man, like, I just want to look at him and say, did Lucas really say faster, more intense? Because that's all it feels like you did. <laughs> oh, I'd be excited, too. This kid could, well, now he's, what, mid-20s, yeah. late-20s. He could go to cons the rest of his life and earn six figures without, oh, yeah. you know, without blinking. Mm-hmm. So good, 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 good on him. His career is just Star uh-huh. Wars. He was in the book of Bob, Boba Fett for all the yeah. archive. Was he really footage. in that? Well, they use okay. archive footage. Right. Fett tells Obi Wan that he's just trying to make it on his own, and that he has been to Coruscant in the last couple of weeks. He says he was recruited by Tyronus, and Obi Wan says that he looks forward to seeing the army in action. Kenobi is let out, and Jango tells Boba Fett that it's time to pack things up. They're leaving. Meanwhile, we're getting ad-lib dialogue about aggressive negotiations with the lightsaber as Anakin feeds her a pair. Ugh. Movie makes me never want to have ever again. <laughs> you know, this was all, like I said, this is all ad-lib because Lucas has said, you know what, I'm not really happy with the dialogue here, so you guys just make it up. Guess what? I'm not happy with the dialogue here either. <laughs> I think the idea of watching these two fall in love, to watch him be torn apart in his loss, that is a great is. idea. But the idea that was great is lost in the execution. It's lost in the execution of the writing, the production, the actors, just everything that looked great on a idea board. It doesn't translate. And even him like making this pair float and stuff, it, it's, it doesn't look good. This effect is terrible. I don't even, I think she's just poking at it with like, you know, it doesn't even look like she's actually eating. Uh, it's just so weird. Are we even sure that the pair was actually on set? or was No, that that's a CG. That's all CG. CG completely. She, she, she did live yeah. by there. And it looks like it. Anakin then says that he's in agony about being near her again as she sits there by a fire in a black leather outfit that, by the way, Lucas himself designed. Of course he did. <laughs> this, this right here, okay. I'm, it, 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 Padme Amidala is just as guilty for the fall of Anakin Skywalker oh, yeah. as anybody else. And this leather freaking dominatrix, I don't know if Anakin's a, a bottom or a top, but man... Queen Amidala is clearly the top in this relationship. But with that push-up bra... Padme says that they can't follow through with this. It's not possible. They live two separate lives, and if they go through with it, they will end up giving up the futures of the other. Definition of music. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I touched it, but now I changed yep. my mind. Go home. <laughs> I think that's what he said, too. Where he's like, well, we're already this far. Joss Whedon write this movie? No, Jesus. he would have had much better dialogue than this. She also shoots down the idea of keeping their love a secret. Obi-Wan is told that there was never a request for a clone army and then heads to grab Jango to be questioned as he's attacked by Jango. And I'll say, you know, we've levied this with a lot of derision and rightfully so, but I love this fight. It looks and feels different than any other fight in the universe. This hand-to-hand combat as the rain flows, it looks great. I really, really dig this fight. I don't like it as much as I did when I first saw it, but I still like it. To your point, yeah, it's a different kind of fight, seen hand-to-hand. It still bugs me that some of the Jedi powers that we saw in the first movie we never see again, you know, some of that speed and such. But it's nice to see this kind of hand-to-hand, old-school combat. And then we see Jango look and act like a gunslinger. So some of those shots that he does is pretty damn great. I'll say it, yeah. And fighting in the rain, that type of stuff, the stunt work, the effects never usually come off good. But here, it's quite a nicely done scene. It does kind of get thrown off when Boba Fett's firing lasers and he's laughing as he's doing it. Like, that's kind of stupid, but... Yeah, it does. And 
I feel like it. Some shots I completely feel like we're on a soundstage mm-hmm. because we are, but I still like this quite a bit. Yeah, it looks good. I like that we're actually seeing a fight without a lightsaber for, mo- for most for of mo- it. Well, it happens right, yeah. and, and it also right when he comes in, he is deflecting the lasers with his lightsaber. Yeah, but I also like that it doesn't feel as overly choreographed as some of the later stuff does. Yeah, it does feel raw. I agree with that. And there feels like there's actual stunt work being put into it versus, oh, we're just going to have rubber CGI stuff that's not actually there. This doesn't feel artificial at all like some of the other stuff does. Well, the ship leaves, Obi-Wan throws a tracking device on it. Yeah. He's, he's ended, apparently. He's got fuck it. <laughs> Never seen these before. Well, we've had, we've had tracking devices on these ships before. Remember in A New Hope, Tarkin asked Vader, did you put the tracking device on the ship? So we have had it before. We've just never seen him in action. Meanwhile, we're seeing Anakin have nightmares about his mom. He then wakes up and tells Padme that while her presence is soothing, he saw his mother in his nightmare, and he must go to her to stop her suffering. So, you know what that means, boys. We go back to good old Tatooine. As Anakin meets up with Watto, and it takes him a bit to realize that it's actually Anakin. Watto doesn't look very good. He's got flies flying around him. He's got a yarmulke. Not that that adds to him not looking good. I'm just saying he just doesn't he doesn't look as vibrant as he was in the previous. You're going to have to Watto that back. <laughs> Watto tells Anakin that he sold his mom to a moisture farmer named Lars. Meanwhile, we have a little bit of a chase through space as we're getting perhaps Ben Burt's most powerful sound effect, that of a bomb Django lets loose from a ship. I love this fucking sound effect. You turn your sound system up, this fucking thing will blow the whole apartment building down as I try doing with this effect. It's glorious. Well, this is also, like, poetry at rhymes. This echoes the asteroid chase in Empire, which was the second movie. And Yeah, it's cool, but I know nothing bad's going to happen to Obi-Wan. Yeah, but it's still really cool. And that was another shot from the trailer was when the ship comes towards the camera and is firing lasers at it. Like, I think there is some pretty good stuff here. And, of course, people wanted to see Slave 1 in action, and we're getting a lot of that here. Slave 1's not the Enterprise, people. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I love about this is you had no idea this sound effect yeah. was coming when it happened. There's a something that happens in the sequel trilogy that I think is you know has the same kind of effect. But when you don't know something's happening and you have this, you got the sound, and then suddenly the sound drops off, the score, the, everything cuts. And for a second, you're like, what the hell is going on? And that sound effect is amazing. Mm-hmm. There's memes. There's gifts. There's that little, like, I know a sound all mid-love, shiki, 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 shiki. And then it's like, uh-uh. It has become more popular than the movie it is that sonic detonator. It is, yeah, it, it is a piece of absolute poetry from Bird. The rest of the chase is okay. We get standard Obi-Wan. This is why I don't like flying, yada, yada, yada. But every time that kid chuckles, <laughs> I want to throw him out the airlock. Of course, the hiding that Obi-Wan does to escape is supposed to tell us why Boba Fett was able to track Han years later. Haha, <laughs> get it? Get it? <laughs> Obi-Wan heads to Geonosis as he sees an unusual amount of Federation ships. We cut to Anakin meeting up at the good old Igloo from A New Hope, as well as 3PO. He's here. He leads them indoors as Anakin is introduced to Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Now, Uncle Owen is, of course, Joel Egerton, who would ha- go on to have a real good career. But are you guys aware of who Beru is? Yes, Anakin then. <laughs> this actress, if you want to find out a lot about her, watch the Nexium documentary on HBO. Oh. Yeah, she's a big part of that. And... She, uh, just watch it. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to mention anything that happens to her. She does mention, you know, that she did go to a bunch of Star Wars conventions to make money and things. That was her living. And then Nexium kind of took over. And uh, It's just a sad, sad story. But check it out. Lars takes them inside and tells the story of how the Tusken Raiders came and took his mom. 
We see Vader's shadow as Anakin and Padme talk outside, and Anakin says that he needs to find her. You guys recognize this? I mean, this was... I loved I loved I did that too. shot. Like, I know it's obvious, but to me it felt very Indiana Jones in the way of throwing that shadow mm-hmm. up. It's kind of how I felt. I, I love the shot. I think it's great. I think it shows where we're starting to slide. I could use more of this and less of other stuff. I caught that shot because I have eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing to come out of this movie is Joe Edgerton. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that right now. He would have been a better Anakin than Hayden Christensen. Oof, I don't know. Because he looks more like how I would envision Anakin Skywalker. Like, I never bought Darth Vader. He's older, though. Boy. Nah. But by how, not, by, not by a whole lot, though. Because Hayden Christensen is in his 40s now. Williams brings out Duel of Fates as we're seeing Anakin right away. And this, like I said, this is the only time the score actually works for me is when he's bringing out these old tunes. But this, I was not expecting. And this is a good time to bring it out, I think, is when we're seeing him on this speeder. Mm-hmm. We didn't see Obi-Wan looking at a droid factory, as well as the first appearance of Count Dooku himself. Now, Christopher Lee is, of course, from that same Hammer Horror era that Peter Cushing was from, and him and Cushing were actually really good friends until his death, and Lee, as we mentioned in A New Hope, he was offered the role of Tarkin, and he turned it down, and he said until the day he died that it was one of the biggest regrets of his life, and him and Lucas actually became really good friends after this was over and until he died. I realize why Lucas brought him in, especially since he was already in New Zealand filming the Lord of the Rings movies, and he just went to Australia immediately after, but given what he's asked to do at his age, this was all stuff that Tarkin left Vader to do. I like his presence, but this character is pretty worthless, especially as a bad guy that we're supposed to fear. Man, Christopher Lee, amazing person, amazing story. The Christopher Lee biopic needs to happen and cover everything. But I can't stand this character, especially when we have a buildup. And for more than half the movie, we've been getting teased with this character. And then once we learn that Dooku, Tyrannus is the same person, and this is what we get, it is ridiculously disappointing. Christopher Lee can't do what this character needs to do. I don't get menace. He's trying. And some of when he's talking to Obi-Wan, I like the idea, but, oh, man, it doesn't hold together. And by the end of this film, it really doesn't hold together because he can't do what he's asked to do. He could barely walk around set. I get he wants to be here. Christopher Lee's an amazing presence as Christopher Lee, but that's what I see here is Christopher Lee. Yeah, I mean, it's down to the name. He was Count Dracula, and it was Count mm-hmm. Dooku. Yeah. But Dooku's one of my favorite characters in Star Wars, but a lot of that has to do with Clone Wars and some of the stuff they've done with him after Mm -hmm. these movies because the extended stuff does all the important information to his character that these movies don't do. But conceptually, this is another piece to the Darth Vader puzzle. If Maul is the muscle that Vader was in A New Hope, this is the fallen Jedi aspect. The movie really should do more with the fact that he's Qui-Gon's master. Like, that's one line. One line. But that makes sense why Qui-Gon was so kind of rebellious against the Jedi because Dooku was his master. I I like Christopher Lee. He does the best with what he's asked to do, but he should have been in the movie more, and there should have been more to this character, because quite frankly, knowing this, replace Darth Maul with him, and make him the big villain for the prequels. Mm. Because he's the master gone wrong, he represents the fall of the Jedi, he's the harbinger of things to come. It makes so much more sense for this type of character to be your villain for the prequels. Or keep Palpatine in the shadows the entire time. I don't need Palpatine as much, especially in this one. If they really focused on Dooku and that break of the Jedi, Palpatine was really staying hidden. Especially if you hadn't seen the originals, you could just do more with it. He is not given enough screen time for this character to be anything other than almost just a cameo, really. 
Dooku is walking with the Viceroy and is told that their battle droid army will be very formidable and should convince the Republic to sign the treaty. Yeah, because we saw that the same droid army get destroyed by freaking Gungans. <laughs> we didn't see Anakin sneak in and see his mom, who was strung up and coincidentally moments from passing. Oh, God, this is oh, so contrived. Man. And this doesn't gel with what Star Wars has done with no. the same people since the... They're going to have to do... Some, like, I guess Shmi Skywalker was a racist. And that, that's how they're going to explain it. This is the problem with that there's no such thing as a villain. Every villain is a good guy. That type of bullshit. I'll say, everything that Anakin does from the time he leaves there, I think is pretty dang fantastic. I love watching... Even that montage of him going through the desert and those little clips, I like it. Once he gets here to the Sand People Village, I adore this scene. You like this scene, huh? But I do. Just yeah. because this is what I want, though. I want this anger. I want this fallen Jedi. I want this hatred. I need this. We need to see Darth Vader if we're going to get there. And we haven't till this point. Yeah. We need to see him do terrible things, even if he has good reasons for doing so. This should have been, if you rework these movies, this should have been the last thing he did before he left Tatooine permanently. He's like, I'm never going back there. I'm never going back Which there. Which explains... Yep. Why he never goes to look for Luke in A New Hope on Tatooine. Why he sent stormtroopers to barbecue Owen and Beru, all that. But this is what I was hoping we would get would be Palpatine twisting his mind saying, Obi-Wan knew where your mother was. And I was hoping that would prove true, that the Jedi and that Obi-Wan knew where she was and purposely kept it from Mm -hmm. him. Because that is something where I could see his son deciding to turn against his entire belief system because you kept my mother from me for your religion. I think that is where this should have gone, and I don't think they have the balls to do it. He makes it more about the emotion, doesn't he? That would make sense. Just have it be a domino effect, pretty much, is what you're saying. And I like that idea a lot. It's a shame that we don't go there. And I thought maybe by the time this movie was over and I was walking out of that theater, that is what we were going to get in the next film. And we'll talk next week, but that isn't what we get. Yeah, because you've got to find a reason to turn your lightsaber on your brother in the way of Obi-Wan and Anakin. And the reason they give, spoiler alert, isn't satisfying, but you could have made it so. Yep. And Hayden's good to hear because he doesn't talk. Well, yeah, he's doing it, the acting with his eyes. When he has his mom in his arms and he looks up, I, I actually feel that. I, I feel the anger in him. And I agree with you. I think he's doing pretty well here. Yeah, I mean, he does well enough that Yoda can feel this force shockwave get sent out as much as he can't feel the creation of a couple million sentient beings on Camino. I have a feeling that if we had done this podcast when I walked out of that theater in 2002, I'd probably be praising this scene. But given where it goes, and, and, I, and I hate the fact that I'm, I'm judging it on that, but I, I can't judge it on anything but that. As we'll find out, though, Adam, the Jedi are very selective with the information they choose to take. One thing we realize, and this is what I'm realizing as I'm watching these movies, the Sith don't lie. Jedi lie. Nope. They'll lie right to your fucking face. Yeah. When Darth Vader said, I am your father, he wasn't lying. But the fact that Mace and all of them are lying to Anakin left and right, no wonder why this fucking kid's unhinged. But they again try to make the Jedi seem like everything they're doing is pious mm-hmm. and studious. They make Anakin seem too much like it's his fault. Yeah. Seeing his mom dead has pissed Anakin off as he becomes unhinged and completely slaughters the Tusken Raiders, including the women and the children. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It it's, it's the right move. Yeah. <laughs> and does Obi-Wan ever find this out? Eventually, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't because think so. He sees the other security video that will for next week, but I don't know if this one gets discussed. Yeah, like, I don't know if Anakin ever mentions that he went back to Tatooine. Or... Well, we're seeing Yoda feel it, so I have a feeling that maybe Yoda would have told him. 
I don't know. Yoda keeps a lot of stuff very close to his chest. <laughs> he is the Dumbledore of the Star Yeah, because remember when, when Luke asked Obi-Wan, how did my father die? He doesn't answer the question well, completely. Well, that's exactly it. That's what I mean. The Jedi's are fucking liars. Yeah. And Dooku is also not a true Sith. If you notice, he can use... That's me getting super nerdy thanks to Christian. He can use Force Lightning, as we'll find out later on, but his eyes never turn yellow. Mm-hmm. Which all the other ones, Maul, Vader, yeah. Palpatine, they all do that because he's not a true Sith because the Sith operate based on anger, ultimately. That's where their base of emotion comes from, and yellow eyes represent that, whereas Dooku does not, which, again, is why I like this character so much, but I'm telling you shit that the movies don't bother to fucking explain. Well, you know what? That could also be due to the fact that maybe Christopher Lee didn't want to wear those fucking contact lenses, if I'm trying to get really logical yeah, he, about I, it. Yeah, but he wore a lot of stuff for Saw. Yeah, he did. Which, at least these movies kill him on screen in the theatrical cuts. <laughs> Of course, Yoda is feeling this slaughter, so much so that we're even hearing Qui-Gon Jinn call Anakin's name. This was a big surprise to, to Liam Neeson, who had no idea they were going to use his voice here. Yoda's recalling that something terrible has happened and that Skywalker is in pain. Williams plays the Imperial March during this, which I thought was a really good touch. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan is having a hard time locating Anakin, but he eventually finds him on Tatooine. That's all you have to do is look at Tatooine. Oh, there he is. Anakin returns with the corpse of his mom and doesn't have anything to say as he walks past everyone and then throws a temper tantrum to Padme, blaming everyone from Obi-Wan to Padme for what has happened to his mom. And this would work if we found out Obi-Wan kept yeah. this a secret. And he figured that out somehow. And also, this is why I put a lot of the blame on Natalie Portman as well. There are so many scenes where she just stands there and does nothing. She looks like a complete buffoon because he tells her all this. He opens and says, yeah, I killed women and children. She's like, it's okay, we get upset sometimes. I'm not exaggerating. The writing in this movie is fucking abysmal. If you are going to have your big bad for the entire... The, one of the best villains in the entire history of movies in Darth Vader. If you were going to have him, in a fit of anger, throw a rock or ball or whatever it is across the room, don't have it float like a paper airplane. <laughs> Holy shit! Put some force in that, kid! In that moment, it saps the scene because he throws it and it's like... Yeah. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> You're upset at the way he's throwing things? What do you want him to yeah. do? Be Shohei and just pitch it? What do you want him to do? <laughs> yes! <laughs> wow. We get a half-assed funeral for Shami as Anakin apologizes for not being strong enough to save her and then promises that it will never happen again. Hint, hint. This should be something that leads to my downfall. Well, it kind of is, if you take the next movie into question. Oh, in the same <laughs> movie, Obi-Wan makes contact with Anakin and tells him of his findings. The council sees the video and says that they will deal with Dooku. And then they tell Anakin to just stay where he is. <laughs> what have you been doing for the last ten years? I'll let Dooku do his... It's like when people used to say, oh, don't worry about yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> Padme convinces Anakin to defy orders and protect her as she goes to help Obi-Wan. Yes, and if I was that cold and perky, I would be following her too. <laughs> oh yeah, this shit looks I, like uh, Katie Holmes at the end of Batman Begins. <laughs> it, I'm sorry, there is a figure in Star Wars Unleashed line of figure, one of the most awesome figures they put out. It was around this time because he had enough figures like it before, better than McFarlane's. Do you know that toy is known as Perky is Padme? It really? <laughs> yes, it is. Isn't that and a the, garbage pail kid card? <laughs> and the Perky version, like they had to adjust the toy later, but the Perky version of it is worth a ridiculous amount. Don't ask me how I know and why it's on my shelf with my other collectibles. 
But if you are going to have your... God, because what is she here now? 19, maybe? No, she's supposed to be like 25. Because but Andy, I mean that, yeah, it's 10 years I mean, later, so he's 20, I mean she's 25, 26. I know, but I mean actually Portman. Oh, Portman herself, yeah. It's just... Yeah, it, it just feels uncomfortable watching this now, realizing how young she is and being like, hey, we are going to put her erect nipples just giant up on screen. Jimmy Smith somehow makes his way into this movie. <laughs> like these, Over the, and just, over again. These movies are chock full of people who just don't fit in Star Wars. <laughs> Him, Sam Jackson. Christopher Lee. No, I think Christopher Lee belongs, because he can at least speak this dialogue. <laughs> Well, Jimmy Smith, and he's not just a background character. This is supposed to be the one who takes Princess Leia in. They keep bringing him back. He's been in a lot of stuff since Disney. Yeah, that's true. He says that they still won't employ the clone army. We cut to Geonosis as Obi-Wan is interrogated by Dooku, and Dooku says that Qui-Gon always spoke highly of him. We then learn that, again, as we mentioned earlier, Dooku was actually Qui-Gon's teacher. I thought maybe this was going now to be a ticket to maybe bring Qui-Gon back in the next film. Well, they tried. Yeah, they used it. Dooku also says that the Republic is now under the control of a Sith Lord named Darth Sidious. Tell him the truth. He offers Obi-Wan to join him in trying to destroy the Sith. Obi-Wan turns him down, and Dooku responds with, Now it will be tough to negotiate his release. Again, when when you have Christopher Lee doing this kind of stuff, he's great. Yeah, no issues here. This is the type of thing that Tarkin did in A New Hope. Keep him doing shit like this. Don't have him do what he's going to do here in about ten minutes. If you wanted to get someone that reputable, but who could do more physically, try to think who else you could have. Because I don't think Ian McKellen could no. have done it either. No. I mean, actually, he could have, because he flings a sword around his Gandalf. Professor X. Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. We cut to a Senate hearing where Jar Jar gives full emergency powers to Chancellor Palpatine. They let everyone know that Geonosis has weapons yes. of mass destruction. <laughs> <laughs> and... Anakin and Padme land on Geonosis, and Padme says hopefully they'll find a diplomatic solution to this mess. Jar Jar's the Colin Powell of this universe. <laughs> I was going to say Rudy Giuliani. We then get a scene added at the 11th hour, that of Padme and Anakin navigating a droid building factory with 3PO and R2 in tow. Oh, Worst scene yeah. in the movie. I'm, I'm going yeah. on record right now. This, this is terrible slapstick. Like. Terrible slapstick. Looks fake as shit. The antics with C-3PO, this turns into a Busby Berkeley movie after he had five points. This shit is so fucking painful and I hate it so much. Wow, I didn't think it was that bad. It just, it looks, especially because it has to pan back for so long to see it, it looks like a video game level because that's exactly what Mm -hmm. it is. The only thing I remember that was really cool, and it's, when they're hacking back and forth, you could tell that there's nothing for them to play against. Because there's no heft to their motion because they don't know when to stop and go. The only thing that was cool, and the crowd erupted, was R2-D2 busting out blasters out of his legs. The crowd, Mm -hmm. when I saw this, and I'm sure you did too, Mm -hmm. went apeshit. I did. Because, I I mean, when I used to play with my figures, I used to do that with him all the time. And I was like, why don't the movies do this? It was awesome seeing him do that with these rocket boosters. Of course, 3PO is going to cause antics, and here he has his head switched out with that of a battle droid. Yes, I watched. <laughs> you like that one, huh? It's on a, you know what? It solely depends on my mood as to if I'm laughing or I want to walk out of the plane while I'm watching <laughs> the film. Portman and Christensen both have commented over the years about how silly it was pretending that blue fat padded form was dangerously close to killing them as they were doing this scene at the eleventh hour. <laughs> but they don't get out of it. They get captured and then let out as they express their love for one another. Oh my God. <laughs> hey, I have told some very 
unbelievable I love yous for certain reasons here and there throughout the course of my life, but nothing is bad. You know what? I want to go ahead and say out of all the exchanges they have in this movie, and we've discussed a lot of the pain behind them, I think this is the best out of all of them. I I do kind of enjoy, after all the pain they've gone through and everything that Anakin has gone through to get to this point, I do kind of feel this. It's not that big of a compliment because that's like saying airplane food's better than hospital food, but I think it's a little better. Oh, it may be the best reaction that they have together in the way of people, but that doesn't mean it's good. But also, bitch, everything you put me through for this entire movie, but you're really in love with me? (laughs) The truth comes out when you're about to die. We didn't get what I feel is the funniest exchange of the movie, as they're strung up, and Kenobi says that he was wondering if they got his message. Anakin responds with, they decided to come rescue him, to which Kenobi looks around and retorts, good job! (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this scene is here because Lucas watched Gladiator. We're seeing Dooku take his seat as this gladiator-type fight takes place, and creatures are released, and Anakin says, I've got a bad feeling about this. Obi-Wan tells Anakin to relax and concentrate as Padme seems to be on top of things. Another line. I couldn't help but laugh at. Up me later, master. I laughed at that line. Of course, as Padme takes swing at the creatures with a chain, there's a slash, and her suit is conveniently slashed right in her belly. <laughs> yep, they got a... You know, they're trying to ramp up the sex yep. appeal here. Which again, as Adam mentioned, makes this even creepier. But God, this looks just so it looks, fake. Yeah, some of these effects, especially that green creature that comes into the frame, these effects, and we mentioned effects that do age okay, these effects don't age well at all. This looks like stuff you would have seen on the sci-fi channel around this time. Kenobi holds them off as Anakin hops on top of another creature, as does Padme, who kisses him on the cheek. Nice job of hiding your love, guys. Yeah, Obi-Wan. I know. <laughs> As much as some of these creatures are hit and miss in the way of them looking finished, I like the creature design. I do too. I think that they actually feel alien. I don't necessarily like the flying creature, the what we get here on Geonosis, but the Neku, which is that cat-looking thing, and the other ones, I think it's, I got the toys, so yes, I'm a little (laughs) biased, but I think they're just cool-looking creatures to feel like we're in a different universe. I'll agree with that. Droidekas enter the arena. But who's also entering is the Jedi Knight. They're here. With all the flying creatures overhead, the battle is on. And this might be my favorite portion of the film. We had Obi-Wan way back in Episode 4 talk about the Clone Wars. And we're going to see the clones here in a bit. But here we have everything on full display. I like this final battle, this, this sand battle, a hell of a lot. I remember being very excited for it because in the trailer, they showed a shot of a lot more lightsabers than you mm-hmm. ever seen before. Oh, yeah. And you didn't really know what the reasoning behind any of it was, but you were like, oh my goodness, more colors, more sabers. So yeah, I mean, it's we actually get to see multiple Jedi fight. We've never seen that before. The most we got was two with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. So seeing a full-blown, literally a gladiator battle with Jedi, fuck yeah, you're going to be excited. Dude, give me more of it. Even as questionable as some of it looks, because some of it does, I mean, this is just fun that you have here it's a more of this eliminate Naboo and give me an extra five minutes of this take out that 40 minutes and you got a different movie because this is this at least is some fun shit here this whole sequence is the equivalent of cotton candy it looks really bright and colorful and pretty but there's no nutritional value I don't care about what's happening. I know Obi-Wan and Anakin are not in any danger. And all these other Jedi are completely superfluous. Yeah, it looks cool for the sake of scale, but they're fighting this army that is as useless as the battle droids. Some of them are battle droids. Biggest problem is I'm not invested. This should have gone the way of, I don't know, Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings, where there's actually this feeling of impending danger and being overwhelmed as far as the mass quantity of people they have to fight. But it's just spectacle without any substance. 
And this is the problem of, we discussed the last time, when you do prequels and you go backwards to tell a story. We know who lives and who dies, or we can at least infer by who's still in a movie later. Guess what? We know Obi-Wan's going to live. We know Anakin's going to live. We know Yoda's going to live. So there's no danger to those people. 3PO was yelling, Die, Jedi dog! And Mace is kicking ass with a lightsaber that, according to Jackson, actually did say, Badass motherfucker on it. That moment where he comes up behind Jango is pretty fucking awesome. All of this as Jango just stands by Dooku's side. But as soon as he leaves, here's Mace to slice his head completely off. This was a good choice. Don't have one of these nameless Jedi Knights with dreads take out your main baddie. Have it be your biggest name actor in the film. Yeah, finally gave exactly. him something to do. And as you'll see, if you pause the shot, the head does not stay in no. the helmet. Nope. There are two shadows that yep. go flying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one's the head, one's the helmet. R2 yeah. is here to take off 3PO's head. As 3PO exclaims, this is such a drag. I want to, once again, reiterate my point that got me so much controversy that I made last week. Jar Jar better than C-3PO. Oh, God. I was laughing way more at this than I was at anything Jar Jar did last week. The droids are closing in, though, and the Jedi are forced to retreat. Dooku says that it is finished. But before they can surrender, here's Yoda with the clone troopers to save the day. God, Yoda's all that. I know. (laughs) You... You had no idea they existed, you went to get them, and <laughs> apparently you had shit and weapons, yes. and, like they were ready to go. Yeah, they had guns, mm-hmm. they had the uniforms, everything was all set, ready to go. The battle wages on as Boba Fett picks up his dad's helmet before yelling to the heavens and exclaiming, No! and proclaiming revenge. Wait, that didn't happen? What? No. Is that, is, that in the, is that in the Disney Plus cut? <laughs> Don't give them any ideas. I also love how he goes to the helmet instead of the yeah. stupid head. <laughs> Obi-Wan, Padme, and Anakin get on a ship as Padme is thrown off by a blast. Yay! Obi-Wan brings up a great question. Would she sacrifice a victory in war in order to save somebody? Not him. Yeah, nope. not him at all, exactly. And then Anakin has to respond with, no, she wouldn't. I thought that out of everything that Obi-Wan has taught him, this was a big lesson for him to learn. Yeah, he looked at the, the Star Trek playbook of the needs of the many and the needs of the few. Star Trek's always superior. Dooku is perplexed at the presence of this clone army, but the Geonosians are convinced that the Rebels will eventually meet their match with the outline of something called the Death Star. Well, it's not called the Death Star. Eventually, but we see it. It's another racist stereotype, because he does the African clicking. You know what? I said it then, I'll say it now. I know we got to take a lot into account that this thing's going to take at least 10 years, maybe 20 to complete, but I like the fact that we're getting this outline here. They were thinking about it way back then. It makes mm-hmm. sense, you know, that this would be going on. I'll tell you, this is a better explanation of the Death Star than maybe we get at I other agree times. With that. This is how you insert something simple and leave it yep. alone. Yep. Simple, quick explanation. Exactly. It's, you see it, and he goes, I'll bring this to my master. Yeah, should have stayed here. Yep. Meanwhile, Yoda is getting a bird's eye view of the battle. Starships are attacked, and we're even seeing big rolling tanks. I love those big things. Those things with like the two yeah, wheels just wheeling this, around like that. That were badass. You can see the work and effort that got put into this scene because it's amazing. We've had a long movie yeah. at this point, and we're just getting to start technically the war. And damn, there's a lot that goes into it. It, for the most part, looks really good. The vehicle designs are pretty cool. The Different troopers are, I'm like, okay, you know, I can go with it. And then when we get, it's like a sandstorm, and all you get is the colors back and forth, and it feels like the fog of war, and I appreciate the way that looks. But as great as all this imagery is, how silly does Dooku look when he's riding this speed cycle? (laughs) 
All, everything looks fake. Even when Padme gets blasted out of the ship and she oh, yeah. uh, You have one white blob of CGI army versus a gray blob of CGI just firing blasters at each other. It's not as exciting as something called the Clone Wars would lead you to believe. <laughs> it's like the Revolutionary War where they just stand there and fire back and forth. I thought it was pretty cool, man. I, I, I'm not going to agree with that. Now, in the build-up to it, and maybe it's just because, again, I grew up with Obi-Wan telling us about it, and this is it being realized. I thought all this stuff, even CGI or not, was pretty damn cool, and it lived up to my expectations when I saw it in theaters. How many of these are actually guys in suits? None. Like, it's all CGI. There was not one yeah, guy in suits. None. That's also yeah. my problem. They had helmets, and they had shots of the feet when Yoda was in frame, but other than that, it was all CGI. The two Jedi Knights follow Dooku, and we get a different kind of fight. He sends Force Lightning Anakin's way, and he falls for it, given how overzealous he is, and Obi-Wan takes the mantle to fight him himself. And, my God. Again, we talked about it, and I hate that we're saying this because the man's no longer with us, but when you take your main villain and you replace his head with a CGI head and it looks like this, this is not a reason to keep this villain here. This entire part, though, when he comes in, parts of this are like, ooh, that's kind of cool. Parts of it are not. The face-off looks good. This is when Ewan actually looks like he's Uh going to play. But, yeah, if Christopher Lee can't do it, and I know that George is like, that's okay. He was doing full-face replacements at that time. You know, he's pretty much doing deep fake before Mm -hmm. the thing. But... It, it doesn't work. There's a moment, when a little bit, when it's Anakin, and the editing and film style is meant to evoke something else, and it almost gets to what you want from an emotional beat because of the colorization of it, but this just doesn't do what it needs to do in the climax. I think it's fine. You I, weren't distracted by the head replacement, really? Oh, I, I was, for sure, but I'm glad that this is not as exaggerated. Because if he was trying to do Darth Maul shit, like flipping oh, around yeah. and stuff, I would have been like, all right, that's way too far. Yeah. But Dooku is a duelist. He doesn't do a lot of crazy acrobatic stuff. I'm distracted with the head replacements, but the fluidity of his movement at least matches someone who's that age for part of it. You know, speaking of the duelist point, as much as I can't stand Dooku's sabers, I appreciate that they gave him sabers that Christopher Lee himself wanted to look like fencing mm-hmm. sabers in that curb style. Obi-Wan is sent down, and Anakin saves him before taking Obi-Wan's lightsaber and fighting with them both. I thought this was pretty cool. Uh, also, the Jedi lightsaber mythology is bullshit, because they talk about how such this intensive process when you got to go and find the crystal and make it yourself. They're like, oh, by the way, we have spares lying around. Here you go. I like how we have lots of dark shots with the sabers being the only sources of light, too. Like, there are touches in this fight that I really do like. It's just not as enigmatic or exciting as a lot of the fights we've seen in this series. It's not, but especially when you can't have a good fight between these two. It's an artistic way mm-hmm. around it. And I think for the short clip that it is, because it doesn't go on very long, it evokes the future that you're going to get. So I do like that because of the colors playing across Anakin and Dooku's face. All right. Dooku looks like he's going to end them both before Yoda shows up with his cane. Now, this fight... Rap, rap, rapping on my cellar door. This fight was the talk of the town when it, when it was in theaters. I like the lead-up to this as they're using their multiple powers and fending off each other's knowledge of the Force, but once Lee says, it's obvious this fight will need to be decided with our lightsaber skills, this fight gets real silly real fast. Because here we have Yoda with his lightsaber. Matt, what'd you feel about this? Oh, this is so hokey. Because Yoda is the biggest... His AARP card needs to be revoked, and he needs to give back his handicapped parking pass because he can clearly move when he fucking feels like it. I don't like that consistency. I also don't like characters like Yoda and someone that we'll see next week. I think there's a point where you're so embedded with the Force that you don't need a lightsaber. 
So having him whip it out and flip around and all this stuff, this feels like something out of a different movie. I can't stand the force lightning battle between these two. <laughs> First off, from a again, from a conceptual standpoint, that these are two masters so far above a standard Jedi master. Both of these two should be leading maybe opposing councils. And to have a battle that's not a lightsaber, in concept, great idea. In execution, it is bad. Ooh, force lightning, I'm going to block it. We're going to have some rocks fall, I'm going to throw them to the side. It doesn't work. In 2002, when I'm watching this in theaters, oh my god, I'm at the edge of my seat. Because I don't know what's going to happen to Yoda. And then that scene where it pans around Yoda, and he by the force whips it out. Theater went absolutely ballistic. It was... So much more so than even the Dark Maul was moment. Because mm-hmm. seeing Yoda ignite that saber, I mean, you had people yep. jumping and screaming. And I was as well. I absolutely was. And even now, when the music plays and it pans around and he whips out that saber, uh, I mean, I'm getting chills thinking about it. it, it oh my God, we've not seen Yoda do this. Problem is, we've seen Yoda do stuff better since. But we had never yeah. seen this before. And then he jumps around <laughs> like a tree frog. <laughs> <laughs> You know, which at the time was still like, oh, my God, this is cool. We've not seen it like this. 20 years later, it doesn't hold up anymore. And this fight between two people that should be the best at what they do is kind of a letdown. And then it ends up as a stalemate that doesn't do anything at the end. It's unsatisfying. Dooku ends the fight by making Yoda save the two Jedis as he takes off. We're now in the final leg of the film, as Dooku tells Sidious that the war has begun. This is the first time, first and only time we see Sidious in this. And first of all, i got to say, love Dooku. Shit. I do too. It reminds me of the Solar Sailor from Tron, but I really like that design. We then hear Yoda say that he believes Dooku when he says that Sidious controls the Senate, but Base thinks they should keep their guard up. Kenobi says that Anakin is escorting Padme home, as we see the wedding with a still silver witness, C-3PO, looking on. And Anakin with a replacement Anakin with hand. a replacement hand. Arm. And you know what I think was one of the better choices that Lucas made in this? Is that these two, when they look at each other during this wedding, it's not with love and devotion and hopes for a future. It is a fear. They are scared to death. And I really did like that touch. I noticed it when I watched it this time that these two aren't really in a state of bliss here. They're in a state of fear. These final scenes give me chills, but it's not at this wedding. It's of the clones slowly forming the Empire as ships that will eventually become Star Destroyers and clones that will eventually become Stormtroopers start taking shape with Palpatine and Yoda looking on. Williams wisely chooses the Imperial March to play, and this is tremendous. Seeing it, talking about it, still gives me chills to this day. Agreed. The musical choice, great way to go because you know what it's leading up to and you know what is being built here in this moment. But also, and this is something that is missing, especially from Lucasfilm now, you see an evolution of ship design. That may not seem like a big deal to some, but it's important from a military standpoint, which is what these movies are. And to see these ships and knowing that they become the Star Destroyers, seeing the blockade runners, seeing so much that's in the lore that we already know is pretty damn cool. But also, yeah, the kind of fearful moment, the war imagery, specifically Nazi imagery, Mm -hmm. something they would not have the balls to do now, is frightening. But it's also a realization that we're getting a start. We thought we're going to get the Clone Wars. All we're getting was the start of it, which was kind of a weird way for me that you were going to end this. But yeah, I do like this finale. Yeah, it's just as pessimistic as the end of Empire Strikes Back, because the the end of that movie, it wasn't a happy ending. This is not a happy ending. This is the start of something devastating. And I like that touch. I like that parallel. I like that it's 
intentionally foreboding that for something called Star Wars, we are actually finally seeing a true war. Because the original trilogy is more like an insurrection. Here, we're, it's like we're about to have a full-scale intergalactic conflict. And that does it for Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Gala 1 to 10, what do we give Star Wars Episode 2? Adam, you go ahead and go, sir. Was my expectation for this movie the same as it was for The Phantom Menace? Of course not. Phantom Menace was, you know, almost like a lifetime in waiting. I was four years old when I saw Return of the Jedi, so that was just everything that I was waiting for. The anticipation for this, while big, could never meet that. But I was there opening weekend. I was excited. There's some stuff in this movie that's pretty dang good. I like designs of a lot of the places. I like the lead-up to a Clone War. I'll put a pin in that. <laughs> but I like a lead-up to a Clone War, the development of it, the escalation of the saga. However, everything else, the characters that are in this that are telling the story, are telling a story that is poorly written, poorly acted, Effects that don't live up to what came out, in my opinion, for the most part, just three years before. And I don't think you can ignore the fact that this is the film that set up Darth Vader. We know the next film's giving us Darth Vader. And we should feel like that is the precipice that we're sitting on, and it's not there. You combine episode one with episode two, make those one, two, two and a half hour movie, you have a good time. That's not what we have. This movie is. A chore to get through, the scenes with Anakin and Padme, it's a master class in what not to do as an actor. It is the perfect personification of how not to decide that you're going to decide to put people together in a romantic interaction on screen. And when that is supposed to be the crux of it, if this is a love story, I don't believe in the love anywhere in it. This is, while episode one's not a great film, this is such a letdown even from that. At this point, it's the worst in the, it would have been, what, the pentology, and it's kind of not even close. This is a four, and that's even with some of the things that I do really like in it, but unless I'm watching this as part of a marathon or part of something for this, this is not a movie I go to anymore at all. Four on ten. Four on ten from Bunch. Goudreau? I'm almost in lockstep with Adam right down to my score. This is a movie that is sort of the inverse of Phantom Menace, where I think this one starts out pretty strong. Hokey dialogue and wooden acting notwithstanding, it throws you right into a conflict and is setting you up for something that is more interesting than it ultimately becomes. Phantom Menace starts out a bit rocky, and the climax is, for the most part, pretty well executed. But both of them have sluggish stuff in the middle, and it all involves that sandstorm of irrelevancy known as Tatooine. And you know what? Instead of a Death Star, the Empire needs to build a vacuum to suck up all the sand, because I never want to see that planet again. And I hear them laughing in my face as I know what's to come. It's not a movie that I can sit here and say I disagree with the consensus. I think every criticism, I believe every thing has already been said on it in the same way I kind of feel about Phantom Menace but more to a degree here I agree with Adam this is the weakest of the five official films up to this point but I also can't sit here and tell you this is one of the worst blockbusters ever made I don't think it's on that level because there's stuff here both conceptually and in execution that I do think works but it's far and few between 
this is a slog to get through. I think it's the longest Star Wars movie up to this point, and it absolutely feels that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna raise my lightsaber up to the same height as Adam. This is a four on ten for me as well. Wow, two fours. I don't think it can be overstated how much a Star Wars film was an event in 2002. We didn't have a ton of TV shows. We didn't have too much to fall back on. We had hype, and the hype for this was grand. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, not as much as it was for The Phantom Menace, but I was still extremely excited for this. Coming out of that movie, the three times I saw it in theaters back in 2002, I said, eh, it was fine. And... You know, we've discussed it. There are problems with the performances. There are problems with this script. There are problems with some of the decisions. But a lot of stuff at the end, I gotta say, I did like. I don't think it's worth going into the performances. We've already mentioned it. You guys really gave McGregor a hard time. I think he is fine in this. I don't think he's bad. I think a lot of the things he's asked to do is are pretty bad. But some of the stuff in the beginning, a lot of the stuff at the end... I dug. I didn't think this was any worse than last week's film. And watching it, reassessing it for this podcast, I can't talk to you guys and say, this is a worse film. I think this is just on par. And that final that final battle, I really dug. Again, if you have a surround system, turn that fucker up. And man, you will just be amazed at the sound that Ben Bird accomplishes in that scene. A lot of the technical stuff I'm going with, but a lot of the directing choices, a lot of the acting choices... And some of the casting, I'm just like, okay, what, are you, what were you guys thinking there? Still, it's a 6 on 10 for me, no worse than last week's film. But if the hype for this one and the hype for last week's film was huge, the hype for next week's film was even bigger because that was going to be the end. Next week's film was going to be the end of the Star Wars saga. I was super stoked. We'd finally see Vader get formed. We were probably going to see Hayden Christensen be better as we're going to see the angst that drives him to become Darth Vader. And oh my goodness, was I excited. Adam, how excited were you in 2005 with Revenge of the Sith? (sighs) You know what? I was excited. I knew that it was the end of this trilogy. I knew we were getting Darth Vader. And I remember George Lucas saying, I told you how the fall happens. You're going to see it, and it's going to be worth it. He was excited to tell the story of Anakin and Obi-Wan. And... You know what? When it came down to it, I was excited, too, because I was going to be there to see how this happened. Matt, what about you? You were three years older by this time. At this time, you were a teenager. How excited were you for Revenge of the Sith? More excited, but I wasn't going to be one of those people who broke my own legs trying to run to the movie theater to see this. It looked cool. There was some stuff I liked, but also I had other priorities. You know, you guys talked about Darth Vader showing up in 2005. As a Potter fan, I was getting Voldemort on full display that year after all the buildup. We were getting a new Batman movie after all those years. Hell, there's a goddamn King Kong movie coming out. I had other things I was more excited for than this. But I, I was curious to see how it ended. Like, that was my thing. Because I firmly believe, like everyone else, it was going to be the last movie. One of the things my friend Thad told me, right after we got out of the screening was, all right, he got the love story out of the way. Let's wait till the next one when he brings out Vader, and then we can fully judge it. And that was my exact consensus as well. Let's see what he does with this. And I tell you, I'm not going to give my review away, but (sighs) decisions were made, and God, I wish he could take some of them back. Until next week when we review Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. To be angry is to do a podcast. Thank you, guys.
admit that without the clones it would not have been a victory. Victory? Victory, you say? Master Obi-Wan, not victory. The Shroud of the Dark Side has fallen. Begun. The Clone War has. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast. Join us next week for an entirely new review. So, my friend, what can we do for you? And if you would be so kind, please take a moment and give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice. I won't forget, and thank you. It truly helps others find and discover our podcasts. The situation is more dangerous than the Senator will admit. And if you like this podcast, please head over to percolatedmedia.net or search your podcast stream of choice for some of our blockbuster retrospectives such as Avatar, Top Gun, the films of Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio, Pirates of the Caribbean, Stephen King, including Maximum Overdrive, Cat's Eye, and more, as well as some individual reviews like The Black Phone, Knock at the Cabin, Megan, and many more. You really don't like politicians, do you? I like two or three. I'm good at fixing things. Always was. The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. tired. I don't sleep well anymore. Edited by Garrett. The thought of losing you is unbearable. Voiceover by Adam. I don't know how much longer I can hold off the vote, my friends. The Three Men and a Retrospective Podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. Time to go.
Goudreau, countdown. We'll get going on this. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Goudreau, before you do that, I just have one more question for you. I'm on Anakin's side. He, he does have a point. Yeah. Yeah, again... Mace Windu. I'm just gonna call him Sam Jackson because Mace Windu's not a character. I'm sorry. It's Sam Jack. It's in the same way that Adam talks about Hayden Christensen just being a, an actor in a costume. That's how I feel about Sam Jackson in this. Mace Windu says, "You know, we're keepers of the peace, not soldiers." She says that if it's not in their art, in their records, it does not exist. This is yeah. This is clearly the Republican library, <laughs> where it's like, oh, if we, if we didn't come up with it, it's fake news. <laughs> Just deleting shit out of existence, and and this starts the whole Sifidius crap. Oh which, boy, yes. I want to see her emails. <laughs> Matt, have you seen Bottoms? Yes, oh my I god, have. that line where he, he says that you're obviously stupid because you're a black Republican is one of the funniest lines I have ever heard, and I had to pause it. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I saw that in the theater, and I. My side, like I, I wish the movie didn't get so absurd. Yeah, the, the climax, climax is took, insane. Yeah, it, it took me out of the reality mm-hmm. of the movie. Like, and it just became fucking Anchorman. At the yeah, end. but God, it's like that. And I was disappointed because I was really loving the movie. It's funny as fuck, Matt, Adam. I recommend that. We watched it last night. We could not stop laughing. We lesbian fight club. Is that's basically, basically what it is. Yeah, it's fight club for teenage girls. <laughs> which imagine that. <laughs> we cut. We cut to Naboo as Anakin and the Queen and the Queen arrive. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, as Anakin and the Senator arrive. Because neither one of them seem like they want to be in the presence of one another. Yeah, the chemistry is definitely not there. So you're saying that Natalie Portman didn't want to be closer <laughs> to someone else. <laughs> well, she was more professional she than that. Be the pro- she- yeah, uh, yeah, she yeah. could have been the professional on set. <laughs> Some more chemistry in the test tubes left back on Camino. <laughs> uh. This all falls apart so quickly, and this is nothing but just wanting to do something with Django. And man, I mean, oh, Jesus Christ, yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I, I was going to make a Jimmy Fox Django joke and I lost. Uh, well, I was going to say it's, it's... The stunt work, the effects never usually come off good, but here it's quite a nicely done scene. I mean, it does, it does kind of get, like get, get thrown off. I'm sorry, Adam. Let me make this point real quick. This doesn't feel artificial at all like some of the other stuff does. You gonna get that? Naboo <laughs> services. How can I help you? Are we good to go? Yeah. <laughs> All right. While the ship leaves, Anakin has to respond with, "No, she wouldn't." I thought that out of everything that Obi Wan has taught him, this was a big lesson for him to learn. Yeah, he he looked yeah. at the the Star Trek playbook of the needs of the many and the needs of the few. And Star Trek, Star Trek's always superior. I'm just saying. Dooku is perplexed at the. Oh, she, go ahead, Adam. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that. Never mind. It, yeah, Padme would do her Dooku. I should have moved on. Duty. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dooku. 
the scenes with Anakin and Padme are just abysmal. It's a, it's a, sorry, it's a master. Anakin, Anakin, no. <laughs> 